Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is just after 7.30 and yes, you're right, the 3CR Gardening Show is back for 2016, so uh, I know it's been a little break uh, for some people, not for me, (laughs) but that's another story, no rest for the wicked. But anyway, I'm happy to say we're all back, so hopefully everyone's tuned in and uh, raring to go for another year of good gardening. Good morning, Stephen Ryan. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And uh, dare I say that um, we've had quite a nice, cool, calm and collected week or so, which has been fantastic. And you don't sort of expect it at the end of January, early February. And one lot of rain, Yeah, and a bit of rain as well. We didn't get terribly much up at Macedon. It tended to go around us, unfortunately, so we only got a few mil. But because it's been cooler... The pressure's been off a little bit. Oh, hasn't it? And I've even got a bit of green in the lawn. I mean, you know. Gosh, how, I how, haven't. <laughs> how good is that? Um, so, and in fact, I'm going to, that reminds me of something I didn't bring any paperwork for, but it does remind me of something I should mention in passing, which is coming up, but it's a little ways off, is we're having opera in the garden again this oh, year. Oh, wonderful. And I'm going to determinedly try and keep the lawn a little bit green this year. <laughs> so if anybody's interested, 10th of April, I know it's a little way off, yep. but we're limited to 100 people. Um, and if you want to book tickets, you need to go into the Gertrude Opera site. So go in there, look for events or whatever they've got there, um, and it'll take you through to one of those places where you can book online. So the Gertrude Opera, it'll be about two and a half hours of young opera singers singing their little hearts out, which will be fantastic, and there'll be wine, there'll be nibblies, and you can wander the garden, and uh, it was fantastic last year, so I can't imagine it won't be equally as good oh, this year. no, so, it'll be brilliant. But yeah, so we've had some nice cool weather, um, things are sort of... I think they've just sort of taken a breath again. The whole garden seems to have gone, ah, oh, this isn't too bad. I can live with this. <laughs> and um, I haven't been out there holding a hose f- for interminable hours and hours on end. So, uh, And even at the nursery, you know, things are 
looking amazingly good. So the stock is looking fantastic. The place is groaning under plants. Um, so I'm ready to go for the autumn, I think. Good. Um, so there's lots and lots of things to see. Actually, I'd suggest people go out and have a look around the nurseries at the moment. We tend to be very... You know, when you get through the winter, you go rushing out to the nurseries and you go, oh, got to buy stuff, got to buy stuff. Spring, and, yeah, yeah but... spring. And so you buy stuff and it's nearly always stuff that's good in the spring. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't go out and look at things at other seasons, you end up with an enormously spring-oriented garden. So it's a really good idea, even if you're not in buying mode, to go in and have a look around a nursery, see what sort of things are in flower looking good at this time of the year. So even if you just sort of make notes of them that you're going to get those later in the season if you're not really interested in planting now, um, at least you'll have them in your mind that, yes, this looks really nice in February or something else, you know, so that you are extending your garden's palette. I think it's really important and people don't do it. But the other reason, Stephen, is um, look, we're February already. Mm. We're only a month away from officially autumn. Can I yell and scream and be really pleased about that? <laughs> <laughs> I always struggle through the summers, I have to say. It's not the easiest thing to do. But I mean, with autumn it. is mm. the best time of the year for planting. Of course it is. And the so if you warm. don't go out and start planning what you mm. want. And when you really think about it, even if you did go out and you saw something you really liked, if you've only got to keep it watered in a pot for three or four weeks or so... It'll survive. It's, you know, yep. most of us can manage that. Yep. Uh, and sometimes it's a good idea to buy something when you see it because I don't know how many of you have done it, but I've seen something and think, oh, go, come back, get that some other time. And it's gone. And <coughs> they don't have it. No. And you go, oh, I missed out. Damn. Uh, so, I mean, they're wanting to shift stock in a hurry and then yeah. they bring in something new. Yeah, that's all. they'll have something that's actually autumnal. That's right. Uh, in, a, in a few weeks' time. So the, the summer stock will hopefully, from most nurserymen's points of view, be gone. Yep. Uh, so you could well miss out on some plant that could be fantastic for your garden just because you thought, oh, I'll wait till the autumn. Yep. So, yeah, look, yeah, buy them as well. I don't see why not. Helps us nurserymen. <laughs> so I don't mind that at all. But, yes, no, it's been a lovely summer in some ways. We've had our really stinking hot ones, but it hasn't been too torrid. Um, I'm sure we'll get the odd day still. Oh, look, it is we, still we February. We have to. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, February, March can be still very I mean, hot right up until April we mm. can get hot weather. But I figure by the time you start hitting April, the days are shortening. Oh, yes. It's nowhere near mm. as oppressive. And also by that time, as long as things haven't been burnt to a crisp already, they've hardened up nicely. Nicely. And so things can actually go into a bit of a semi-dormancy in the late summer, early autumn, because it's already done all its growing. Um, and so most things can sort of just hang in there with minimal care and attention until the, until the weather breaks. Mm. So I don't mind if we get a little bit of warmer weather later, but yes, it's during those really long, hot sort of January days. Yes. That, you go out to water at, you know, 6.30 at night and it's still so hot. The yeah. air temperature is so hot. Yeah, and the hot. mozzies are already moved in on oh, you. Oh, yeah. Tell uh, me so about mozzies. So you're out mozzies. there trying to water and the mozzies are having a go at you oh. and the hose gets tangled around something. It can be quite fraught. It can be. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it's getting dark and you trip over something in the garden. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, many of We've us have done there. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear, gardening isn't actually as healthful a, a pursuit as some people It's think. not. <laughs> we must say good morning to James Beatty. Good morning, James. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. Ah, start of a new year for ABC Gardening Australia. Yeah, we were back to it about three weeks ago and we just put the first episode in the can last okay. week. So we're, we're back on the weekly, the weekly treadmill of trying to put together a show a week at the moment. Okay. So. The usual frantic and fraught pace has kind of befallen us. but um, And you've got you know. a new come old team member. We do indeed. The lovely A.B. Bishop 
has rejoined us again, and yeah, it's good. It's good to have her. Yeah, yeah, the three of you together. Yeah, it's you, nice. Millie, and AB. So we're, we're great a bit, team. We're a bit of trouble, actually. I think. I think the rest of the office thinks we're a bit loud. Perhaps. Yeah, you get three <laughs> gardeners in a room together, and yes, you know, I'm there's going to be trouble. <laughs> but talking about this summer, it has been amazingly mild. You know, mm. we've had a, we've had a few hot days, and you know, it's funny. It's funny. There's nothing like the the perspective having an overseas visitor come and stay, especially when they're from Scotland. Gives you. Um, I've got a cousin here from Scotland at the moment, okay. and you know, we're saying, "Oh, it's been such a such a mild summer, and it's really lovely." And he goes to walk outside when it's you know thirty degrees, and he just feels like he wants to die. <laughs> he's fr- he's from Danoon in Glasgow, and he said that it hit twenty eight degrees there one year, and they were putting out public health warnings and telling people not to go outside. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yes, well, it is all comparative. Yeah, yeah well, that's right. Totally, yeah, totally. But I t- but I tell you what, um, I don't know if anyone else has noticed it, but it seems to be a really good year for the crepe myrtles this year. They're just I've noticed going them driving around. Absolutely off. Yeah, yes. they've been looking fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Actually, has anybody noticed there's already some autumn colours starting to happen in odd yes. spots around too? No, yes. I've never noticed that. Have you noticed that, that no, no. James? I was driving around the other day and I... Um, and where was I? I was somewhere around Macedon. And there's colour starting to come into things like Boston Ivy. Yeah, right. On some okay. people's My ornamental grapevine has yeah, started. Yeah, that, that would be starting to show signs. Mm. I'd be very surprised if the Virginia creepers don't turn soon because it's oh, yes. one of the early things to turn. Mm-hmm. So it would normally sort of be the harbinger of the autumn. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a few things starting to just get that little bit of autumnal mm. look about it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting season. And, it has. Uh, and I haven't felt particularly stressed out. I mean, we've had our few fiery, horrible days mm. and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's been reasonably easy. That well, rate. of course, I, I had I had a oh, you... lack of Christmas break this yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> yes, your, your Christmas was somewhat... My and... Christmas. I won, On the, the day before Christmas Day, what did I do? <laughs> Drove down to Lawn. What happened the next day? Oh, yeah. We all had to evacuate. <laughs> so where did they send you off to from Lawn? Did you just have to come back towards Melbourne? Well, yeah, any, anyone that, that, that had a home within reach, you had to go yeah. back home. So I, I came back to Melbourne. But yeah. um, anyone who didn't have, couldn't have easy access to somewhere, they sent them all to um, Torquay. Oh, yeah. Yes, and they had a centre there for a few nights for people to hole up and... Yes. Goodness. Yes, not, oh. not the most cheery Christmas uh, when that sort of thing happens, is it? Well, at least Lawn's still standing. Yeah. It's, I can't yeah, say the, the same Wye River, for Wye River. Yeah, yeah, that's really sad. Oh, shocking. Yeah, yeah. and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a long time mm. because, because now, of course, they've, br- they've brought in much more strict building regulations. They've still <laughs> got the massive clean-up on the ground because there's, um, you know, the, there's a lot of um, asbestos so ah. people still who've, who've lost their homes still aren't allowed to to get in there unprotected yeah. or whatever. So it's 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 going to take ages. And and um, my next door neighbour at Lawn, who you know, Stephen, yes. um, of course his his main job was to maintain about thirty places properties in Wye River. Well, most of his work has. Well, quite literally gone, gone up in Vaporised, mm. totally. Mm. But he's been talking to a lot of the local residents. Most of them have decided they aren't going to rebuild. Oh, so, right. That's So, um, yes, it's it's going to rapidly, well, radically change that community there. Oh, it will. If, they, if their blocks all come up for sale and they're bought, from, mm. bought by newbies from out of the area, it's mm. going to quite change the dynamic. Mm. Mm. And apparently the fire has gone right down literally to the beach. It, it missed the caravan park at Wye River, but um, in other spots it's gone right down to the foreshore. 
Goodness me. So, yeah. Yeah, so there's an awful lot of uh, mess to deal with down there, unfortunately. Sure is. Yep, absolutely. James, you had all these projects earmarked for these Christmas holidays. <laughs> Dare I ask, did you get any of them done? Oh, that's that's not a good question to ask, really. <laughs> you? Yeah, uh, what about the sheds? I actually, still no, there? that's still there. That's still there. It's still boring <laughs> a hole in my brain. Yeah. But, um, I actually spent most of the holidays traipsing off into the bush for, you know, okay. for some long treks and things overnight on my yep, own. So. Clear your head. Yeah, I did. I did a lot of that stuff, and kind of the the back garden especially fell by the wayside to some extent. Okay, um, but um, I spent a lot of time walking around the Grampians and around uh, the high country nice. as well. Walking through the Alps in the summertime is really, really good. Um, it hits its flowering peak in summer. Uh, you know, unlike other other bushland areas around Melbourne that are kind of late winter and early mm. spring. Um, so it's a good place to go and walk in the middle of summer because it's much cooler. There's not really much of a fire danger around. You do have to keep your eye, you know, your, your, your eye out for that kind of stuff just to be on the safe side. Um, but the the amount of stuff in flower up on the Alps was just mind boggling. Was really really beautiful. Mm. Um, and the Grampians walk I did at the end of November. Um, so there was still a little bit of like residual spring. There okay. was still quite a bit in flower. Lovely. Um, and yeah, it was it was really good. But I spent lots of time walking with twenty kilos on my back rather than gardening <laughs> and pulling the shed down. <laughs> oh well, I suppose we have to have a sense of priorities one way or the other. Well, that's right, you know. But you still um, got your exercise. Well, that's it. That's it. But I think um, I think maybe maybe the shed project will keep me sane this year. So I'll just kind of do it bit by bit. And yep. Yeah, yeah. I think Good that's, the way, that's the way to do it, I reckon. Yep. But this this is the year of the shed dismantling, I've decided. Yeah. Right. Come hell or high water. All right, we'll keep you to that. Yes, yes. we will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I must get to some community announcements because we do have a special guest coming in at 8 o'clock, so I need to get to a bit of the business end of the program before that happens. Uh, first up, of course, it's the first Sunday of the month, which means that Villa Alba have got their open day on this afternoon. Uh, now, that uh, is open from 1 o'clock through till 4 o'clock. It's at 44 Walmer Street in Kew. Melway's reference there is 44H6. Um, admission is $10. Concession is $8. Children are free. Afternoon tea is available for a $3 donation. And, of course, that um, <coughs> the opening involves not only the historic house but also the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden. Now... Coming up um, from uh, Geelong uh, Botanic Gardens, uh, they've got their Friends Discovery Walk coming up next Sunday, 14th of February, which also happens to be Valentine's Day, I seem Ah, to recall. Yes, I think you're right there. (laughs) Yes, yes. So roses and chocolates all around, hopefully. Yes, well, not quite, because this one is their special collection of pelargoniums and salvias. Oh, so there you that go. That doesn't sound quite as romantic it no. somehow. <laughs> uh, it's not the same as a red yeah, rose, but... Yeah, yeah, or a glass of champagne or any of those yeah, sort of well, supposedly well, well. romantic things. But salvias are certainly in vogue at the moment oh. to add into your garden. Oh, yes, everyone's mm. starting to cotton on to, to having a few salvias around. Anyway, to get back to the walk, um, it starts at 2 o'clock. Uh, you meet your guide at the front steps of Geelong Botanic Gardens. Cost is a gold coin donation. And if you'd like uh, more information on that, you can phone the friends on 5222-6053. While you're down there, you're bound to get a good bit of sage advice, really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're back in form. Yes, Yes. I'm I'm here, folks. You are. (laughs) Okay. Um, Heritage Park Heritage Orchard. Orchard. Now, I... (laughs) 
I'm not back that was, yet. That was quite an interesting spoonerism. <laughs> okay, I'll get there, folks. Stay tuned. Um, okay, this is also February the 14th, and I know a lot of people look forward to this one. Their summer grafting uh, workshop is back on. Oh, good. Now, um, they run workshops on uh, companion planting. They'll have free grafting demonstrations all day. No bookings required. The local CWA are coming on board to provide food and refreshments. Rotary members will be directing traffic via Gate 5. Uh, the Kareni gardeners um, are hoping to have a stall selling their plant varieties from the kitchen garden. There'll be Indigenous plants and garden favourites from the Werribee Park mansion grounds also available for sale. Plus, they're having the usual edible weed walks, tours of the orchard, custom grafting of stone fruit trees and fruit trees for sale. Now, if you want to know what... Um, what varieties they've got, you can go to their website and uh, there'll be scion wood from all of those that are available. Now, the website um, is uh, capital W, small case PH, so wph.orchard. No, sorry, that's the email address. I don't seem to have their website address. Uh, let me just see. I reckon if you went in and looked for Werribee Park Orchard, well, I'm or sure it would come up. Werribee Park Heritage Orchard, and would have to come up. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the trees uh, cost is just fifteen dollars for freshly grafted, and they come complete with notes for aftercare and planting. Now, if you want more details, and you can get their website uh, from Jane as well. Her number is zero four two five. Seven zero one seven five six. I'll repeat that: zero four two five seven zero one seven five six. So that's all happening next uh, Sunday, February the fourteenth, ten o'clock, right through until three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, now, also next Sunday, um, the first uh, <clears throat> meeting, if you like, program event for Friends of Burnley Gardens is coming up. This is a lunch at 12.30 and then 2 o'clock a talk being presented by Michelle Adler, who I think most uh, listeners would know. Um, And she's talking about the uh, bicycle trip she recently did from uh, 1,000 kilometres from Tennant Creek to Darwin to celebrate her grandfather's record-breaking ride of 1914. Now, uh, it was a botanical wonderland and she's going to show the video, share the experience and explore the plant collection. So if you'd like to go along to uh, that luncheon and talk uh, for bookings, you can contact Andrew Smith. Um, His email address is a.smith at unimelb.edu.au or the phone number for the friends is 9035 Six eight six one. Okay, uh, now also coming up the following weekend, which is Saturday 20th and Sunday the 21st of February, uh, the Geelong Botanic Gardens are also offering a botanic art workshop for beginners. Now, this is 9.30am uh, <clears throat> through to 4.30pm. Uh, the tutor is John Pastoriza Pinol. The cost is 120 for members of the friends group or 150 for non-members. The materials list is available at the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens office and it will all take place in the Geelong Botanic Gardens meeting room. Now, if you'd like more information about that, 
Their phone number, as I gave out before, 5222-6053 or um, the uh, Friends website is uh, friendsgbg.org.au. That's friendsgbg.org.au. Uh, a couple more for Sunday the 21st of February and uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens have got their first uh, plant workshop for the year. This one is entitled Australian Grasses and Their Lookalikes. Now it's taking place, as I said, on Sunday 21st of February, 9.30 right through till 4 o'clock. It's being held at the Australian Garden Auditorium down at the Royal Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne and... Uh, it's as I say, it's their full first full all day workshop at Cranbourne. It's focusing on grasses and other allied relatives such as rushes, sedges, lamandras, as well as members in the very ornamental iris family such as Diplorina, Libertia, and Patasonia. Now uh, they're excited to announce that their speakers include grasses expert Dr. Graham Lorimer, RBGV botanist Neville Walsh. Dr Sue Murphy of Melbourne University Burnley campus, Indigenous plant expert Brian Bainbridge, uh, our good friend Roger Elliott and botanical author Ian Clark, who will talk about his latest publication, Name Those Grasses. Now, uh, you do need to book for that one. You can obtain a booking form by phoning Amy Askers and her phone number is 0423 513281. That's 0423 And finally, very briefly, because this one also applies to uh, February, and we'll hear more about this one next week. Uh, but coming up on the uh, 27th, there are two shows on the Melbourne Begonia Society show, uh, which is being held at the Moorabbin Senior Citizens Hall which is at 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Free entry for that one, running from 10am through to 4pm. That's on the Saturday the 27th and Sunday the 28th, 10 till, 10 till 4 on the Saturday, 10 till 3 on the Sunday. And also the National Dahlia Society Victoria Show, which will be at the Mount Waverley Community Centre in Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley. That one is a $3 entry and that will be running... Again, Saturday the 27th, 12.30 till 5. Sunday the 28th, 10 through till 3.30. And Devonshire Teas will be available at both shows. Okay, so everyone's getting geared up for the uh, air already. Yes, looks like it. Actually, can I just quickly mention this one as well? Oh, like, absolutely, yeah. yes. Um, the Macedon Rangers are having their uh, Sustainable Living Festival coming up. Uh, this has been going for several years now. It's on Saturday and Sunday, the 27th and 28th of February. Uh, there will be things going on all around Wood End and Surrounds, basically. So uh, they've got a community garden there um, and there'll be you know, food and gardening expo things going on. There'll be a community picnic in the Wood End Children's Park. Um, the Black Forest Sawmill, which has been converted into sort of a, uh, a craft and, and sort okay. of... Uh, it, it was an old sort of proper so, sawmill. Yeah, right. uh, and so they've got all these artisans making things out of recycled woods and all sorts of things going on over oh, there. Um, and there's, there's a bus tour on the Sunday that you can join up to. So if people are interested in finding out more about this sustainable living, Expo uh, somewhere here. 
Ah, here we go. Uh, if you want to check on it, uh, it is slf.msgonline. So Macedon Ranger Shire, go on, online basically, uh, .org.au. Um, they have a Facebook page, so you can go in and check out things on that as well. Um, so if you're interested in everything from solar panels to you know organic gardening to anything you can think of that's got to do with sustainability, it will be on show in the Woodend region. Excellent. So, and yes, I'd go onto the website and it's being sort of sponsored by Sustainable Living and the Victorian State Government and a whole pile of other people. Um, so there's a lot of people behind it sort of pushing this festival ahead. So I think it should be really good. I think you better give out that website again. It's a, bit, uh, and, it's and a complicated people, one. Yeah, people really need to have paper and pen yes. when they tune in to us of a morning because <laughs> yes. uh, it's a bit hard to remember all of this. Yeah, so it's all in lowercase and it's slf.msgonline.org.au. Okay. So that's the, the website. So go in and have a look at it. It'll give you all of the details. Uh, there's a charge of $10 per adult, 5 bucks for kids, and $25 for families. So um, you can have a good day out. And Absolutely. Uh, that includes everything, I think, except for the bus tours. I think you have to pay extra oh, for yes, the bus tours. Oh, yes, that's fair but, enough. Uh, yeah, so that, that could be a great weekend for all. Absolutely. Well, it's more than time we invited our listeners to join us. If they haven't uh, forgotten that we even exist by now, <laughs> we'll soon know, won't we? But we'd love to hear from you this morning um, to uh, kick off 2016 for the gardening show. Do give us a call. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Stephen, before uh, our guest arrives, you've got a chance to quickly talk right. about a couple uh, of things. My theme this morning, I decided to theme it, is to talk about some ground-covering plants that would be useful to grow over bulbs. We always have this issue where you plant a clump of daffodils or you plant a clump of something else, and it's lovely when it's in flower. It looks pretty crappy as it's dying down, but we all live with that. And then you end up with a bare space. That's right. And... The issue is to find plants that will allow bulbs to come through them but also not get smothered by the leafy mass when mm. the bulbs are starting to go down. Mm. And so they need to be fairly robust plants, but they can't be so dense and thick that they would be what I would call weed-smothering plants because they'll also probably smother most of your bulbs. So it's got to allow for a, uh, a bit of air and light to get down to ground level. So these are sort of light, airy ground cover plants uh, that would be very useful to grow in – well, all of the ones I brought along today will grow in fairly heavy shade through to full sun. Gee, so that's they'll grow useful. in a, you know, a range of different habitats. They're all comparatively flat to the ground and they will follow contours. So, you know, if they get to the edge of something, they'll spill down. Uh, one or two of them will even clamber up things a little bit. Uh, so if there's something for a wall or a, a shrub nearby, they might actually wind up through that a little bit. So they're very good for softening things, mm. uh, uh, walls and what have you as well. And by nature, they're tough. They've got to be if they're going to have bulbs growing up through them and if they're going to be able to grow in all those different habitats. And actually one of my favourites, and I'll start off with this in case our special secret guest gets in here and we need to stop, um, is a plant that's being sold around the traps as a Parthenocissus. You'll mm. see it sold as Parthenocissus sycamensis. 
It ain't. Uh, it certainly looks like a Parthenosis. Yeah, still. it does. And that's, I think, how it happened that, mm. that this name got lumped on it. Uh, for quite a while, I was seeing it around the trade and I thought, this is weird. I've never heard of this Parthenosis. I can't find it in any reference books. Um, what is going on? Eventually, um, uh, Terry Smythe actually did some research at the Botanic Gardens on this thing and it flowered in the Botanic Gardens. And it's a thing called Tetrastigma obtecta, uh, which is a bit of a mouthful, but probably no more so than Parthenosis is sycamensis. <laughs> um, so Tetrastigma has evergreen foliage uh, divided up into one, two, three, four, five leaflets in general. Um, and it does look a little bit like a tiny leafed um, Boston Ivy, well, not Boston Ivy, Virginia Creeper or one of that group. Um, it's a light trailing plant. It will lightly cling to things and run up a little bit. Uh, so you could plant it at the base of a wall and it would sort of cramp, scramble up the wall a little bit. Uh, it has no flowers of interest, tiny little green things. Um, and because it runs across the surface, it's really manageable. So if it grows further than you want, you can trim it off easily, all that sort of stuff. And it's just a really pretty foliage plant. And I've got it dripping over a little low dry stone wall I built in the garden at home and it's sort of growing between the crevices of the rocks and things and just softening the whole thing off. So tetrastigma uh, and I think it's a charming little plant and it will cope with quite heavy shade. It's not particularly uh, worried about drying out a bit once its roots are established so it'll cope with Mm. fairly dry soil Mm. as well Um, and it will grow out into fairly full sun too. Okay. So Autumn colour off it at all? No, it's it's evergreen. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's solidly evergreen uh, so it doesn't change in its character. The only change you get is the new growth is a paler green, basically. Right. Uh, and, it, uh, I mean, if you're into such things, it would grow well in a hanging basket or mm. dripping out of urns and things, you know, if you're looking for something really trailing. Oh, it'd be lovely. It'd yeah. be really pretty. In it is. It's yeah. a really, really pretty plant. And, because uh, it's so... It's so- Airy, light. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's that's what I love Beautiful. about it. Yeah. You will still probably see it round the trade as Parthenosis sycamensis, though. Mm. If you're looking for it, uh, I know one or two of the wholesalers that are still growing it are still growing it under that name. Um, I know there have been pictorial labels printed with that name on them. <laughs> uh, and so even somebody who might well be going to sell it under its proper name will probably use up their labels. <laughs> uh, so Tetrastigma obtecta, I think it's a really, really good plant. And another one that I'm very fond of that does similar sort of things in a way, this is a euonymus. Now, a lot of us are familiar with some of the shrubby euonymuses, but this is a trailing one, euonymus fortunii variety radicans. Um, And again, it will follow contours and it doesn't grow dense. And it has a narrow dark green leaf with a white central vein and sort of the white radiates out into the leaf a bit so it gets a sort of slightly netted appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will trail a metre and a half to two metres. Uh, I've got one growing at the foot of a big old messmate gum tree and it's trailing around the base of the gum tree and there's a few bits of it that have wound their way up mm-hmm. sort of in amongst the bark uh, to grow up the side of the gum tree a little bit. Okay. Um, and it's, again, just a foliage plant. It doesn't have any flowers of interest. Um, uh, it just has this nice, creepy foliage, and things will grow through it, and, and it will sort of waft through things without doing any harm to them. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those really useful things. Uh, mm. In fact, I saw a photo in, in an American book uh, that I bought some years ago of this growing across the ground with little autumn cyclamen growing up through it. Oh, Beautiful. And it actually worked really well because oh, the cyclamen had the sort of marbled foliage as yes, well. Yes, of course. Uh, and, of course, when the cyclamen goes down, uh, the euonymus is still there. Uh, and I think it's a really nice plant. Mm. And I've been growing this for some time. It took me a while to work out which euonymus I was actually growing because it, um, I couldn't find a reference to 
to it in most of the books and things. And it was only comparatively recently I actually found out it was variety radicans. I knew it was some sort of Euonymus fortunii, but it's a really weird species because there are arborescent forms of it. So there are big shrubby mm-hmm. forms of it. And there are also trailing forms of it. And I even have one that has tiny little leaves about half the size of an English box that just trails across the ground. And when it gets thick, it sort of builds itself into waves. Okay. Across the ground. I'll bring that in one day. It's a really interesting little plant. So there's lots and lots of different forms of Euonymus fortunii. And I've at last convinced myself at least that it is variety radicans. <laughs> and uh, it was found by a friend of mine in an old garden up near Ballarat somewhere. And he was growing it for a while and he had the wrong name on it. And I bought it from him. And we discussed the possibilities of what it was going to be for a long time. Uh, for a little while, I grew it under his name. I called it Kevin's Drooper. Uh, <laughs> I don't like that name. No, he, he didn't like it either. That's why I did it. Um, but, yeah, so it is de- I'm pretty sure it's definitely variety radicans, so we'll stick with that now. Um, the other group of plants that I – they have rather bad press because of the weedy species, and that's the periwinkles. Mm. Oh, yes. Now, nobody in their right mind should plant uh, Vinca Major, the, the – Grand Periwinkle, the greater Periwinkle, it's a thug. And, in fact, it's become a real problem in, in land care areas and things where it's taken off through the wild. It's really hard to kill. Mm. Uh, and uh, nobody digging it out of their garden should ever dump it on the side of the road or do anything as naughty as that. But having said that, just because Vinca Major is a problem, it doesn't mean you can't plant Vinca Minor. So the lesser peri- periwinkle is much tamer. It stays flattish to the ground, so it doesn't build up a big, thick sort of mass like the big one does. Uh, and there are some really handsome forms of it getting around. Um, you can get it in white flowered. You can get it in blue flowered. You can get it in a sort of a plummy purple flowered form. Uh, I know the plummy purple ones are double, so there's a sort of a doubly flowered Ooh. form, which is interesting. But I brought along two variegated ones because I think they're quite useful. Again, they look fantastic dripping out of urns. They look fabulous hanging out of hanging baskets. They look great dripping over a wall, and they're really good ground cover for over bulbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this is my favourite, I think, Vinca Minor Illumination, which has goldy green central parts to the leaf and dark green edges and when it comes out with its bright blue flowers that gold variegation with the blue flowers is quite striking Mm. it's really really handsome and it's not overly vigorous but it can trail quite away i've actually got it in a in a big sort of urn in my garden at home that is on a pedestal and would be standing i suppose nearly two meters off the ground Mm -hmm. and it's trailed down out of the urn it's got a big succulenty thing in the top and it's trailed right down to the ground and it's made this fabulous curtain Mm. hanging out of the thing the vinca miners tend to flower mainly in the spring, but you'll often get out-of-season flowers mm. pop out on them, and they're a really, really lovely, rich blue. So illumination is a lovely gold variegated one, and as I said, the variegation is, is the central variegation to the leaf. The other one I brought along is one that goes under the name of Ralph Shugart. Uh, I have no idea who Ralph Shugart was, <laughs> but um, uh, and therein is the problem when you name something after somebody. It doesn't have any sort of real connection to the plant in mm. a way, so it doesn't help you with the plant. But Ralph Shugart has a sort of a creamy variegated edge to the leaf, and it also has the blue flowers. So you get the lovely blue flowers. And again, the cream variegation and the blue flowers work really well. So I think they're lovely plants. They're very easy to manage. Uh, they will root as they go along the surface of the ground, so they yep. will take, take root. But they don't tend to go underground, so again, they're comparatively easy to manage. Um, and they're lovely, light, airy trailing plants. So the Vinca Miners, just don't plant Vinca Major. Um, but it is a good example of plants where there are quite useful and attractive plants within a genus and then there's an absolute thug so you can't just you know 
put the same feeling over a whole genus. It's like that Oxala situation. Yes, you know? there's absolutely. Some, there's there's one thug, so people avoid the rest of them like the plague. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a great advocate of the ornamental Oxalis, mm. as everybody knows. I bring them in regularly just to frighten people. I, uh, I think the botanists should work on, on finding a new name for it, and then nobody would be frightened of the, yeah, of the good ones. because we know the genus name. I'm, that's I mean, exactly right. I mean, there's plenty right. of weedy things out there that nobody's aware of the botanical name mm. of it, and they don't realise that it's quite closely related to some garden garden plant that they're actually growing. Mm. So they, they sort of get this idea that, you know, that, that weed there, if it's in the same genus, then it is. So you, they're all weedy. So it would be quite handy if the botanist decided they were yes. going to change the name of Oxalis because then I could sell it under its new name. That's and right. nobody would know it was that sour sob weed. They would have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, so the vincas, I think, yeah, we, we can relook at some of the small growing forms of them. And they are robust, hardy plants. I mean, mm. that's why the major one became such a weed. Mm. I mean, yep. it's almost indestructible. These are tough, but they're not as thuggish. Mm. Yep. So they're very easy to maintain and manage. Uh, they're fairly stable. You don't get a lot of reversion in them either. So, you know, but that's one thing I would say. Anything that's got variegated foliage, keep your eye on it. Yep. Because lots of variegations will revert to green. The green forms are nearly always more vigorous, so they can have a tendency to take over the variegated plant. And I do have to say that nurserymen that name and release almost everything that turns variegated without trialling it long enough to see mm. just how stable it is, mm. uh, they should get a good spanking. Um Remember the uh, Tristaniopsis, uh, what we used to call Tristania, uh, what was it, uh, Conferta, the big variegated leafed one? Fabulous variegation, but as unstable as Bilio, and it grows into a huge tree. What mm. do you do when you've got green limbs 30 feet up in the air? You know, so I've seen that that. Queensland brush box all over the place. Mm. You don't see it sold much now, though. No. It doesn't show up much around the traps, and mm. I think the nursery industry's realised that it's probably not stable enough. Mm. So, yeah, variegations you need to keep an eye on. So uh, certainly cut anything out that goes green immediately. And finally, seeing as our guest hasn't still arrived yet, um, this is one of the um, spermums, the star jasmines. Everybody's probably familiar with the normal climbing Trachylospermum jasminoides, the, the white star jasmine. Uh, very useful climber in sunshade. Almost anywhere you could want to put it. Uh, this is one of the other species of Trachylospermum. This is Trachylospermum asiaticum. Now, asiaticum can also be grown as a climber. Mm-hmm. So you can actually use it just like the other Trachylospermum, except that it doesn't tend to be as vigorous, right. which is interesting because even the normal Trachylospermum is not overly vigorous. So mm-hmm. it's actually quite a useful climber in a restricted area. But asiaticum actually grows very well as a ground cover. Okay. So you can just let it trail. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it will follow contours, it'll flop over walls, do all that sort of stuff. Uh, gets the same sort of white flowers. Its foliage is smaller and finer than jasminoides. And there's another one I've got, which is a, actually a paler green species called Unanensis, which I didn't bring down, but it's another one that makes a good ground cover Trachylospermum. Now, in time, these can make huge mats. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a big bank you want to cover mm. or something like that, um, they, they can eventually be quite vast. So you could end up with a plant that's several metres across quite easily, but it'll take time to do it. And therein is the other issue with ground cover plants. People tend to want ground cover plants to grow really fast because they want to cover the ground. That's fair. But they're also the ones that long-term create much more management issue Mm. uh, than something that's a little slower. Mm. It's like planting box bushes as a hedge, which you can trim once or twice a year, as opposed to Lanissera natida, the the box honeysuckle, which you have to trim every five minutes. (laughs) You know, and it's fine. It makes a hedge quickly. 
but then it's very labour intensive after that. Yep. So sometimes it's better to have something that takes a little longer uh, and does it more gently, and that way when it gets out there where you want it, then it's not that hard to manage. There's so quite a prominent venation on the leaf on that one too. It's yes, quite, there is. quite beautiful. There is. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely thing actually. There's quite a few interesting trackless spermums around. I should have actually bought one down. I didn't think to. There's a form of trackless spermum jasminoides which is dwarf and shrubby called tricolor mm-hmm. and it has pink and white marbled variegation in it mm. and I've never seen it flower. It seems to be completely sterile. Uh, but the foliage is so pretty. That you don't need the flowers. Well, I remember John Patrick once saying that it looked like somebody had thrown up. Um, but that's just, you know, <laughs> that's, that's John. That's John, you know. Um, so there's a whole range of them. I've even got a trackless spermum that's a sterile juvenile set form uh, called Theta, and it has little tiny narrow leaves, and it goes really bronzy brown in the winter. Okay. Uh, and it's a great little climby thing for, you know, if you just had a little piece of narrow wall between a window and a door or something, and you just wanted something light to grow up there, mm-hmm. it's really hard to find climbing that'll do that mm. because they're either vicious, vigorous thugs or, or they're dainty little <laughs> prima donnas that are hard to keep going. <laughs> and to find a hardy climber that's not overly vigorous mm. can be quite hard. With that trackless spermum, um, is, it, is it, you know, is it going to bunch at the top like you? Uh, it will get a little thicker probably at the top, but yep. it never grows so densely that you couldn't say grow a good clump of daffodils or yeah, snowflakes okay. or something through it. Yep. Um, and of course, all these things are quite trimmable. So, mm. you know, if they get a little bit thicker and thatchy, mm-hmm. uh, you can always slice them back and start them off mm. again. But it n- never seems to be quite as as yeah, dense a mound as you get with some of the other trachylus spermums. Does it flower and does it have a perfume? Yes, to both. Wonderful. Uh, it tends not to flower so much growing along the ground as it does if you train it up. So if you grew it up as a climber like the normal one, it would flower better. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Unanensis, the other one that I sometimes grow, seems to rarely flower at all if it's grown as ground cover. Okay. But once you run it up a wall... It'll flower. It'll yeah, flower. So, yeah, so it does vary a bit. But I'm, I'm fairly confident you'd get Asiaticum to flower as a ground cover. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the perfume of them's lovely. Oh, uh, yeah, it would be. In fact, I find the star jasmines a little bit less nauseating than the true jasmines. Uh, I find some of the true jasmines are just too strong. You put me in an enclosed space with them and I feel really quite ill. They're one of those polarising plants. Whether love them or you hate them. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, And, and it is that way. It, you know, people do. And I'm un- unfortunately on the I'm not very fond of side of the, uh, of the thing. That's uh, how I feel about early cheer. Yeah. I cannot sit in a room with... Actually, I'm allergic to... to um, Jonkles in in a room with me. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, if I have them in a room with me overnight, uh, my eyes will all puff up. Right. It was a fantastic ploy when I was a child if I didn't want to go to school. Let's <laughs> uh, go and pick some death. It had to, yeah, Beautiful. it had to be in the late winter, early spring when early cheer was in flower. Uh, but any sort of what we call jonquils, which we some of us know are actually tazettas, but mm. any of those jonquilly type daffodils with a strong perfume, yeah. I, can, I can enjoy them out in the garden. It doesn't worry me. Uh, if they're in a room that I'm walking through, it doesn't worry me. But if they stay in a room with me overnight, mm. uh, I end up with these puffy eyes. And, and fortunately, there's no pain involved. So you can end up with puffy eyes. They go, well, I don't have to go to school now and <laughs> stay home. Uh, <laughs> Mum never figured it out. <laughs> You know, a couple of times a year, if I didn't really want to go to school, in came the early cheers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, see, I was quite a horticulturalist even back then. <laughs> but I was using it for much more nefarious reasons. Uh, dear. Okay, it's high time I reminded listeners of our number. We would like to hear from you this morning. If you have any garden queries at all, do give us a call. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155.
Plans for this year, Stephen? <clears throat> Plans for this year? Um, well, a lot of the same, I guess. Um, there's no major plans of change in the garden or the nursery at this stage. It's just sort of keep on keeping on. Um, I have got to a point in the garden at home, though, where I'm really starting to be quite ruthlessly um, uh, wandering around the garden assessing things because the garden's now over 30 years old. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of plants getting up to quite a large size. Uh, so I have been starting to sort of look around and go, all right, well, does that tree still excite? Uh, uh, is it still doing the job I want? Uh, is it in fact becoming a problem? Are you running low on firewood? Yeah, well, there's that as well, yeah. Uh, although I've got a couple of very big dead gums in the back of the garden that will be this year's firewood once I get the tree surgeons in to whip them down for mm. me. Uh, it's very expensive firewood, I have mm. to say, mm. when you get the tree surgeons in mm. to deal with it. Uh, but it's the only way we're ever going to get them down because I'm certainly not going to attempt it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think people sometimes keep things just because they're there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you've created a garden, there's no reason why you can't change it That's as right. well. And people think, oh, it's a big tree or it's a big shrub. I can't take it out. And you think, well, but is it paying its way? Mm. And so I like to assess all the time. So, uh, and, you know, if you get a bad summer or something like that, well, then you've got to assess the, the longevity of some of these plants that may or may not have performed terribly well under stressful conditions. So, you know, it doesn't look really crappy for the rest of the year and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is it flowering long enough? Uh, so I'll be doing a lot of that in the garden at home, particularly this year, because, you know, the garden is getting to sort of a point in its, in its life where, you know, there's lots of big plants in it now. Yep. And, you know, one of the best things you can create in a garden sometimes is a gap. So if nature well, doesn't do it for you, uh, sometimes you have to do it for yourself. And it's a way of changing the microclimate. It is. I mean, if you take down a couple of big, you know, over-branching, you know, trees, suddenly the sunlight's going to get yeah. into that and area. And you haven't got the root system of those trees to deal with That's and right. grow things around. Yep. So, yeah, so sometimes people don't see the garden for the trees. Yep. And, you know, I'm a great tree advocate. I mean, I'd chain myself to a tree any time. Well, it's the structure of your garden, basically. It it can be, but you've also got to assess whether it is, you know, the right tree in the right place that's done the, is doing a good job or whether it's a tree that is no longer of value in a garden and you need to assess whether it needs to come down or not. As long as you're planning for something else. I mean, people who just take things down for the sake of taking them down uh, and then don't do anything else. So I think that's a dreadful waste. Mm. Mm. Uh, But, you know, if you're reassessing things, I always figure if I planted it, I should be allowed to take it down, (laughs) Uh, uh, no matter what the council might say. Um, But um, uh, so, yeah, so I'm assessing the garden quite a lot. Uh, And, of course, in the nursery, it's a matter of, seeing how my stock is going with regards to how it's engaging with my customers. So you're always assessing what's selling well, Mm. what isn't selling well. I mean, most of my things don't sell well from the perspective that I never sell vast quantities of virtually anything because I don't grow vast quantities and and the marketplace isn't ready for vast quantities of some of the things I grow. Mm -hmm. But is it selling enough to keep growing it? Uh, and are there other plants I should be bringing into my range for whatever reason? So I'm doing that a lot. I mean, this year I've got 40 different varieties of cannas that nobody else has got in the world. And if you'd said to me 10 years ago I'd be growing cannas, I would have said, oh, don't be mad. But I've got all these really weird ones nobody else has got. And they sort of fit the rare plant range. And yet they're hardy and they're floriferous and they're, they're fabulous foliage plants. And I've become really quite an advocate um, so, you know, so I'm assessing those things. Mm. And I have to say the canners keep ticking over during the summer because people know they can buy that, take it home, mm. and they can keep it alive fairly easily mm. um, so they don't have to wait till the autumn to buy 
those sorts of things. Mm. So, yeah, so the canners have been keeping the till ticking over, which mm. is good. Mm. So, yeah, so I, I'm always assessing the plants I'm growing and, uh, you know, some plants I will stoically keep growing because I know it's a good thing even if nobody else does. Um, but otherwise... Um, uh, you know, if it doesn't sell at all, you obviously got to start thinking about whether it's worth stocking. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. But there you go. So that's that's what I'm doing this year, and of course later in the year I'm off to Madagascar with my little group in October. You are, and that's called a segue, by the way, in case anybody's interested. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a segue to our special guest who has just arrived. Uh, <clears throat> Do I remind you it's now 20 past eight? Oh, he's only 20 <laughs> minutes late. Yep. <laughs> Welcome, John Patrick. Good morning. Pat. Good morning. I have an excuse. My bride has been in hospital. Oh, oh really? I have been. Oh. Yeah, she's fine. I mean, there's nothing. Could she be she anything else? She actually just needed a holiday from John. <laughs> Could she be anything else with me to look after? Yeah, well, yeah true. <laughs> but, yeah. She, but so I have had to do a little running around. I'm very sorry. You're welcome. You're welcome. And the main thing is you're here. See you. James, you're looking so well. <laughs> well, he's been you're looking older. Thank you. Uh, well, I could say the same of you because we both are looking we older. We are looking <laughs> older. Yeah, yes. And you've yes, I, some... I saw your son the uh, uh, when was it yesterday? Day before Friday. When, Friday. Yes. And I thought, now there's. John, 30 years ago, uh, or something. Yeah, uh, he does look a lot like me, but he, he doesn't like to accept that. No. He still believes his father is the Jamaican postman we had at the time. Oh, right, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can understand his thought processes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but he, look, he's a good kid. He keeps out, of, keeps out of prison and out of trouble and all of those sorts of things, so can't ask for more than that. No, you can't. And he we wants can't. to be a tour manager, I believe. Well, he wants to... Yeah, I think he, he quite likes the idea of... Being a tour manager, I think he's been inspired by you. Oh, that could be it. Yes, of course. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Stephen, talk to us about these tours. I mean, you and I've done over 20 of these now. Yeah. Uh, Must be close to 30 of them. And every time I do one, I get increasing, well, I don't know about increasing pleasure, but the same pleasure over and over again. They're a marvellous Every tour you do, even if it's the same tour, it always has other things to throw up at you mm. when you go. You know, there'll be a slight tweak on where you go, of course, sometimes. Sure. You know, one garden will drop out, another garden will come in or whatever. Um, but even the same garden, going back to it the following year, I mean, the season will be different. Mm. Uh, some of the plantings will be different. Um, the owners are generally even more excited to see you the next time around because they recognise you. Because they know you, you. Yeah, yes. You yeah. Know, unless you were stealing cuttings or something. <laughs> uh, and... You know, and, and, of course, you've got a different dynamic with every group you take. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's always a new experience. The only good thing I can say about my tours is, so far, I have not had a troublemaker like James. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could offer you some. <laughs> if, you would, if you would like some serious troublemakers, they can always be found. James, <laughs> it's nice to see you. James, what's your experience of visiting gardens? Oh, look, I haven't really visited many overseas gardens, but it's definitely on the cards in the next few years. But, mm. um, I mean, it's, it's a whole combination of things. It's a, it's, it's a change of climate. Um, you know, you have a whole suite of plants that you would see that you wouldn't see otherwise. And there's always something about going into a garden where everything is, you know, quite different to what you're used to. And I love, I love trying to describe that feeling that you get when you're in a garden. It's like, it's like trying to catch clouds with your fingers or something. Often, often your words fail you when you try and describe what it's like. Um, and it's one of those things you, you, know, you, you have to be there and immerse yourself in it. And sometimes it's good not to try and describe it and just, mm. just to wander around and take it all in. 
Um, I think it depends a bit on the time of the day. After a good lunch in France, the gardens often become a blur to me. But in the <laughs> yeah, morning, I usually depends how much good. wine you've yeah, had. Yeah, that, that was that extra extra <laughs> glass of Chardonnay or whatever. And then, yeah. Yes, actually, the French tours are fun though, aren't they? Because you not only have these. Truly amazing gardens, <laughs> particularly I think in the north of France. Oh, where it's they're damp. the best! I reckon the northern French yeah. gardens are the oh, best. Oh, it's just everything's beautiful. green and gorgeous. Yes. You know, yes. so why do we want to go to the south of France when we can do dry olive trees just as well as they can? You know, <laughs> yeah, but so, the north of France. Oh. I think the north of France, in some ways, is a bit more exciting even than going to see English gardens. I mean, yeah. people go on and on about English gardens, but the, the French gardens in the north of France they marry the best of England with the yeah. best of France. So they do some lovely structure and geometry. Trees, but they're often overlaid with wonderful herbaceous border. Yeah. Chateau de Bressy. Oh, oh yeah. wow, is that something. Mm. Now, I have to say, as far as I'm concerned, my tour to Italy is my most memorable. Ah, right. It's not every day you take Pam around Italy. And I adore <laughs> oh, that. Yeah, that, was that, that was such that's a memorable. But it was fun, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was great it was fun. Great trip. We, we did. It's, it's even more fun taking Pam to third world countries, though. Is it? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, Madagascar and oh, Pam and I that. had quite a time as well. Well, I did come to France with you as well. As, and you Northern did, France. yes. yes, yes. yes. Oh, so you're not faithful to one man. You'll just go with anybody. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Hey, show this woman a garden and she's yours. Well, all of this, I should say, is all about the fact that I am off to France in September, to Normandy and Brittany, and I've made it September. You and I have both mm. done them in spring. Oh, yes. And ASA said to me, well, where would you like to go in late Northern Hemisphere summer? You know, what you want to do is your sort of late, or, or spring in the Southern Hemisphere or autumn in the mm. Northern Hemisphere. And I say, you know, late summer. When those late perennial boards, when the grasses are looking good, yeah. I reckon those French Normandy gums will show a different face. They will. They uh, will. But, uh, but it certainly won't be a less attractive one. Well, oh, I don't no. think so. I think it, it'll be it really should be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's going to be roses and stuff. Of course. And the weather should be good. You know, we, we often get the better weather towards the end of the summer. Yeah. And the same happens in, in England and France. You know, September is often the very best month. So mm. from the 3rd, I think it's from the 3rd to the 26th or something, James, you... you You'll be thinking of me, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> going that rotten John Patrick, he's yeah. off there swanning around having a great no, time and he's in an office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, John, John, I noticed that, that in this tour, um, uh, the tour that I did with Stephen, we we went a lot more to uh, the Loire Valley. I noticed you've tacked on Brittany this yeah, time. Yeah, I have. I've not now been to Now, that's interesting. Brittany. It is. I've not been to Brittany. And at Brittany, we do have some gardens, but we have an awful lot of beautiful old towns too so we're going to go and look at some of those sto standing stone circles a bit yeah. like sort of stonehenge sort of thing okay. 3,500 year old stone circles yeah local uh, councils that have those knocked down <laughs> yeah, that's right. you need a planning permit <laughs> yeah. for that. you haven't got your permit in yeah. place um so we're going off to do that we're going off and looking at some apparently marvelous old towns and Brittany everybody says to me oh Brittany is wonderful because it, it is a little bit different and it's right on that Atlantic coast so mm. we're doing a, a, a little bit of Brittany which I'm really yeah, looking forward be fantastic. to I know, I know all the Normandy gardens and I've been to each and every well not everyone because we're going to Pierre Berger's garden oh that'll be did fantastic that? no we haven't done that so. we went to Pierre we when we did the last southern France trip we we got a garden of Saint-Rémy to go to and the woman wrote and said, I'm afraid we can't take you. We've got a long-term rental of the property, 
and we don't want to have you there with the guests. Is there anything we can do for you? Well, we'd been trying to get into Pierre Berger's garden in Saint-Lemy for a, a decade, and every time they just said, no, no, no. So we said to this woman, oh, yeah, there is one thing to do. <laughs> well, you're going to contact Pierre Berger and just see if you can get us. And blow me down, she did. Wow. And he was so impressed with his our visit but now when we write to him and say, can we visit your other gardens in different places? And this one is in Normandy, which is his weekender from Paris, oh. where he used to go with Yves Saint Laurent. He yeah. said, sure, you can go there. So we're off to see his garden. Fantastic. Yeah, it, was, it was designed by Madison Cox, who oh, is yeah. the American designer. Fantastic. And um, apparently it's pretty hot. Well, wow. not hot, hot, hot. Yeah, not yeah, like yeah. the south of France. <laughs> no, but, no, that's right. But pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Hot in a sort of cool fashion. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> you are going to a few of the gardens that I know Stephen and I both totally enjoyed one firstly uh, that was owned by the late Princess Derza oh yeah yes. Mr. Rival. she oh. was a trick wasn't she oh she was oh. amazing she was I mean she was if, if, if the word pint size could be applied to any person she was the one yeah. I mean she yeah. was minute in every way wasn't she well yes. except in personality yeah <laughs> she was fierce she was frightening did uh, she get stuck into you for anything no we were we were fortunate but I did love telling people a story about uh, the tour you took where one of the, the uh, participants patted the dog after having been told that they weren't to touch the dog. And she whacked and she whacked her whacked with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> the lady bent over the stroke the dog and back came this stick and whack across the backside. I have to Did say though the, a hop. the head gardener Sybil seems to have come out of herself oh, since the she? princess passed away. Yeah. yeah so, so she's now in charge and she's the, the tartar in the place that will keep you in oh, line. Is she really? Oh yes she is. Oh yes she's trying to keep oh. everything up to the same standards oh. and she's not gasping quite as much as she used to. You remember she used yeah. to <laughs> breathe in every sort of second word and but, uh, it's a fantastic place. Oh, I remember amazing. Guy. I remember Tom Wright who's my old lecturer at the University of London saying to me, you know, until you've been to Vestiraval and seen the princess, you really haven't seen a, a, a garden. I mean, Christopher Lloyd could get stuck into you if he found you standing in the middle of his meadow garden yeah. or something like that. But but she took she took that sort of attitude to a new level. Yeah, Christo's was generally just verbal. Yeah. Hers was quite <laughs> physical. <laughs> Christo had the sort of size where you felt, yeah, you, you'd agree with him. But she was so small, you almost felt, oh, well, she can't do much. But she certainly could. Oh, yeah. But I, oh. Love her, I loved her um, attitude about her plants because her garden was very plant-driven. I mean, it's beautifully laid out, but it is all yeah, about the plants. plants. I mean, she was president of the International Dendrology Society and, you know, I mean... a tree hugger of the highest order um, and her beds were always planted in such a way that there was always something of interest at every season of the year so there'd be good bark good spring blossom good summer foliage or flowers great autumn foliage so every bed had to have four seasonal value and I don't know how many thousands of plant species and things are in that garden. Oh, yes. But they're all the choice, aren't they? They're yeah, all they're the yes. great one. stuff. If there's a form of a plant you want, she she had it. Oh, yeah. But, I, see, I preferred the garden. This is a good length of coast, this length of Normandy coast, because not only do you have that marvellous little church where Brach is buried, oh, yes. the stained glass that's windows, beautiful. the fisherman's church. Yes. Up oh, yeah, that's coast, gorgeous. Which is gorgeous. Yes. But you also have Le Bois de Moutier. Oh, yes. And I reckon the herbaceous borders, the uh, Bois de Moutier, are fantastic. Designed or inspired, at least, by Gertrude yeah. Jekyll. And the house is to die for. The house is to die for. Last time we were there, um, the mother 
of the owner took us around and she said would we like to see inside which we did and we happened to have a man with us who was a pianist so when we got into the music room oh. he sat down and played a little selection of Percy Granger for us oh. it was just and she was entranced you can imagine it was a fantastic it's, it's the most beautiful place we actually the last tour I did there we also got into the house yeah. it's, it's starting to become part of the tour now they're, they're realising that we're not just garden well, hungry if you've been inside a... the house there's no point looking for anything of silver anymore no that's right Right, yeah, yeah well, George and Silver at least, and <laughs> Sterling of course, uh, but it is just the most beautiful place. Oh, uh, and oh, it sure is. Yeah, and and that house is down to the finest details is just incredible. I do like. I do think it's one of the most charming and beautiful houses I know. It's yeah. it's it's gorgeous. It is. It and, is uh, truly marvellous. And, and, and Lutyens took this uh, stonework uh, out into the garden to form the frame around the house, this courtyard. You'd remember it, Pam. Oh, yes, Those beautiful doors where he takes the, the tiles in the walls and mm. extends them out through the walls to make ah. the doors look bigger and grander. And it is. It's truly it's remarkable. And really, there's not really a piece of gold gilt anywhere, thank God, because you get plenty of that in all of the other chateaus. <laughs> you know, one of the things I think is that um, that house brings home the fact that you don't need to do all of those things. You no. can have a beautiful grand house without having all those... Yeah, all that de- decorative oh. doodaggies everywhere. Did you go to Bushy Market? Yes. Yes, we did. Actually, I, I was showing slides of our trips to France uh, at our local Hort Society a week or two ago, and there's a picture of the Bushy Market where there's this huge big brown rabbit sitting up on top of its cage because they often sit, sit an animal up the top. Why it stays there, I've no idea. No, they, well, they seem to. since it's going to the pot. Well, exactly, and I'm saying, now look at this cute little bunny. Won't he be delicious? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is, a, I mean... We do. One of the things, when I started doing these French tours, I introduced the picnic. Yes, which is and, a great um, innovation. Oh, it's and, wonderful. And so I send people off and we all buy in the markets to have picnics. But Bushy Market is a... Mar- I mean, they go on about the Victoria Market and making it world heritage. But, you know, Bushy Market is a street market full of locals, much of the product mm-hmm. organic. But they have live ducks, they have chickens, they have rabbits. Anything you want, you Pigeons, can Pigeons, you can... The, yeah, yeah, anything. The, the cheese is... I mean, the food, the... T- the oh, sauce oh, oh, the, the pâtés, <laughs> the... Oh. Everyone's getting I'm so hungry. pleased I'm doing France again yeah. next year. Oh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's... I am currently on a big health kick. I'm, I've lost quite a lot of weight and I'm going to lose more because I know I'm going to hit France like this year. <laughs> we'll go back on again. Yeah. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, yes. It's a waste yeah. of effort. Yeah, so it's probably not the best tour for um, uh, gluten and lactose intolerant people to join. Really. <laughs> I have to say, when I, when I see a, t- a group and the dietary requirements and somebody is gluten and, and lactose vegan in Normandy, I think... What, what are you what doing? This about? What are you doing here? This is, this is somewhere to come and really enjoy yourself and forget oh, yes. about any of those sorts Absolutely. of things. Absolutely. Now you're also including um, some of the cathedrals. I I vividly remember the one at Le Mans. It's, oh yes, it's very isn't Le Mans it stunning, is beautiful. beautiful. And it's got that lovely medieval town and just adjacent yes, to it too. You can yes. see and beautiful through. polychrome stone and brickwork. But the other one I like too is Rouen. And the thing oh. I like about Rouen is first of all Monet painted that the West End of it. times. Uh, yes. East End of it so many times. West End of it so many times. But then the other thing is that Richard Coeur de Lyon, Richard the Lionheart, you know, who was, yes. who, he is buried in three places because they became places of pilgrimage, you mm. see. So the more places you could bury a person in that was 
So that was a, that was a level of your fame if you were buried in more than one, one place. place. People, <laughs> pilgrims would go and see you. Old bits of you in Rouen. I think it's his heart that's buried in Rouen. Mm. He, they have a third of him anyway yeah. in there. I thought that was quite stylish. <laughs> so Just a, a little, little bit macabre, really, yeah. isn't it? Well, when you go to Rouen, you can also walk into a a little cloistered area. An ossuary. Area. Yeah, the ossuary with all these skulls and things carved <laughs> into the into the woodwork. And around. it's where they used to bury people from the Black Death yeah. and all these things. They and and it's quite it's an amazingly beautiful place. Oh, I love Rouen. Oh, I love Rouen. And it's I got such Rouen. dreadful restaurants. <laughs> oh no, there is one. Oh no, there is there's one killer. There's a there's couple one of good ones. Really good yes. I was being facetious. I have. Yes. To say. Oh, were you? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah, yeah, in case I'm you didn't think about that. Yeah, no, we love Rouen for its food as well. It's a good. It's a nice town, and those beautiful Normandy houses where they used uh, so much timber to create Mm. the frameworks with brick infill. They they really are beautiful. They are gorgeous. Nice town. Yeah, Yeah, and of course, um, it's the home to um, uh, who's the guy who wrote that book about Madame Bovary? Oh yes, yes. uh, um, uh, For 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 for. Anyway, a minute. Um, It'll come to us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Flaubert. Thank you. There you yes. go. Yep. Yes, I read it before our first French trip just so that I could be aware. I found it quite a tedious book, actually. Did you? Yeah, no, Madame Bovary. She, the, her character was so stupid. You know, she could have had everything, and in the end she goes and kills herself with Drano. I mean, really. Yeah, it's probably, <laughs> at least your insides are clean if you yeah, use Drano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. Oh, dear. Yeah, so, yeah, so there you go. The so. other aspect I really must mention, um, you've touched on, on Brittany, but um, that whole coast, even the Normandy coast, oh. I mean, the White Cliffs, because they're exactly opposite the White Cliffs of Dover. Yes, the coastline. And, and are nobody very... talks about the White Cliffs in Normandy on the mm. coastline there. And of course, Etretard. the Impressionist painters have, have mortalised it for, you know. Vera Lynn found that the words didn't fit into the song of yeah. the White Cliffs of Dover. Yes. So when the she's saying there'll white be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover, it didn't quite fit with there'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of northern Normandy. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't have the same <laughs> ring about no, it. No, it doesn't. But, it doesn't. you know, you're she right. Etretard was where Monet and yes. Boudin used to go and yeah, paint. Absolutely. And of course, then uh, uh, Boudin at uh, Enfleur. And, um, Enfleur, Enfleur, my is, is favorite, most favourite, favourite port. most spectacular Isn't it gorgeous? They do really uh, good muscles in those cafes. Oh, I remember you having muscles. I can tell you, I avoided the waterfront. One and I walk two streets back, and they do tripe with apples. And that is you so can keep your tripe with apples. tripe with apples. Oh, but do you? But, oh, it's delicious. But <laughs> um, Enfleur is one of those villages, little ports that you you can't resist. No. They are so it was like entering the carnival the day we were there, Stephen, mm. wasn't yeah. it? There were there were people everywhere. Everyone was in holiday mode. It was just stunning, mm. and all those different coloured houses. Oh, it's, it's when I first went there, and I. First went there over forty years ago. It was the first after. It was a baby in arms, of course. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so I arrived in love. I had a croissant. I had a coffee. I hitchhiked, and the little de chevaux that picked me up was going to the market in Enfleur, and that's where I ended up. And I remember just falling absolutely head over mm. heels in love with it. It was. It was. And um, they have the Boudin Museum, which I like. But the other thing they have is the church there. It was built, you've got to remember, by boat builders. Mm. And they didn't know how to do anything except build boats. (laughs) So the the church is an upside-down boat, basically. And it's a most... It is. It's, it's a unique church. And it's I've the never place seen where like what's his name set off for Canada. Who was the French sailor who? Went oh God! Now you're going to be pushing Canada me. Look, for, I found. I reminded you who wrote the book, yeah, but I'm well, not sure I can names, deal with it. You know, as you get older, names get harder. But um, he set off from Montfleur to to go and settle over there for the French in uh, in Canada. It, it's 
Enfleur is magical. And, um, and But you're real right, that whole Normandy coast. You've got so many layers. You've got the Second World War memorials. Yes. Mm. You've got things like the Brock Church. You've got exquisite gardens. You've got places where Monet and Boudin and Corot and all those went and painted. Yeah. You've got... It's just got... A, and then you've got... You go inland to the Pays d'Auge and you've got... Uh, uh, cheesy brie, camembert, pont l'eveque, Livarot. You've got um, you've got uh, Calvados. I'm dribbling and now. And, and th- those manor houses in uh, there are exquisitely yeah, beautiful. The yeah. manor houses of Normandy are quite. I actually prefer them to the big chateaus. Oh, Me so too. do I. Yeah. Much yeah, I mean, the definitely. chateaus are really over the top, but some of those manor houses you could almost see oh, yourself living stunning. in. Yeah, as yeah. long as you were wealthy. That's <laughs> why I like having lunch with Craig, because Stephen's a bit over the top, but Craig, you can manage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Craig wants to sit, live in one of the little sort of gatehouses. Yeah, I'm enough sure. for him. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, you're right, Stephen. I think those big places, they are a little over the top. Mm. Yeah, they're amazing. They yeah. are wonderful. They're eye candy. You go in and yeah. enjoy them. But Normandy has, at the heart, it has a rural agricultural charm. And very often, the products of wealthy farmers and agriculture, they're usually practical, Mm. they're down-to-earth people, they create places that reflect their nature, their slightly parsimonious character, because they've worked hard to make that money. Yes. And and I think there's something solid about those sorts of places. And I I love them. I love going to those So, getting down to some nitty-gritty, though, John, uh, the trip is, what, 21 days? I think it goes from September the 3rd to the 26th. I think think it's about 23 days. It's quite a long haul. But, you know, one of the things I think we, um, I I believe in, and I know you do, is, is saying to people, Look, you don't have to come on every day. No. We are based in places for several days generally. Which is wonderful. And ASA, um, which is Australian Studying Abroad, which is the the official tour travel company. Um, But they're so good at this, John, because you're not living out of your case and packing up every morning to jump on a bus again. And that is nothing worse than that. As a tour leader who sometimes has to carry bags up a couple of flights of steps, Mm. there is nothing worse than doing it on a daily basis. That's right. And it also means you have free time, often uh, for the evening meal, to go and explore the township yourself, to really That's get a right, feel yeah. of, of the whole area. That is absolutely right. And, and it does give the opportunity for people to have days off. If they, and when if they you really stay f- in a town like Bayer, why wouldn't you want to have a day off? Yeah. I mean, yes. You can have a group. We are going to the tapestry. We are doing the cathedral. So you do the highlights. But you could walk around Bayer for a day without any worries at all, seeing new things, different mm. things. You don't have to come. If you want a couple of days out in the middle of these tours, you can take breaks. Mm. I think that's very important. I mm. think it is. And a lot of people don't, though. I have to say most of them don't want to miss out on that. No, that's right. They start <laughs> to realise how good yeah. the things you're going to see are. And they yeah. think, oh, my God, if I don't do that, oh, what I'm missing. Yeah. And so there is a bit of that. But mm. at the same time, there are particularly older people... Um, they do sometimes think I just really like yeah. to take it. Do a little bit of laundry, yeah. not just just have a day. get the hair done, whatever. Just have a relax. Yeah, yep. Absolutely, yeah. And so it's really, really good. So if people were interested, I, I'm assuming, of course, you're. In I do know tells. you do have a few places. Yeah, left. we've got. We are definitely going. We've, we've, we've. I have to say, we've sold very well. We do have a few places. Left. I think it's about five places left. Gosh, so, so people so that's need to pretty get good. In. And I Quick. think they'll fill by September. But if you want to go, it's nine eight double two six eight double nine. On Monday to Friday, nine eight double two six eight double nine. That's Australian studying abroad. Um, I can't think who the person to talk to specifically on this tour is, no. but people will 
Oh, no, they, so whoever answers the phone will know. They'll yeah. look, no. And yep. of course, they can go into the website and see, their, and see the tour and itineraries. See the and see full itinerary and mm. go through day by day and see what they think. It's Look, I've had so much fun doing these over the mm. years. They've been... I have great, great friends I've met on the yep. tours. I have had so many good laughs. I've seen people do things where you think to yourself, no, they're not. Oh, my goodness, they are. They're yeah, yeah, they've that. done oh it, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I never thought I'd see that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, most of the time, people are just fantastic. Yeah. Well, and I have to say, John, from the, uh, the other side of it, as a participant, because I've now travelled with ASA, you know, a couple of times, um, three times, I think. Um, but I have to say, as a participant... Um, Everything is, I mean, honestly, the office is so good at, at taking, at looking after. If you want to go a few days earlier and um, they will find you accommodation before the tour starts. The yeah. same with if you want to tack on something at the end of the well, tour. you went to Milan, I think. I went early. to Milan and then, and then at the end of, of the tour I went to Venice. So I remember uh, specifically because you do go with a grumpy old man. I'm <laughs> trying to do it is now. I remember he stands up there too. <laughs> And, and, and ASA looked after all of it. Now, I, I am not in the payload of ASA no, in any way. I do these tours because I love doing them. I wouldn't I, do them I, I can't else. recommend them enough. Yeah, I, really, I really can't. Yeah, they're their fantastic. tours are always really well thought out. And, I mean, they've been – well, I found them great for me. I mean, they've John set up tours that he wants to do. I've set up the Madagascan tour via them, and they've mm. been really good at doing it. And certainly if you're going into a, into a third-world country, there could be all sorts of pitfalls trying to get a tour organised to some of those sort of places because uh, oh, they're yes. not always that organised no, Doing there. some of these things on your own. Can be, the other thing is we do get into gardens that are not normally open to the public. And we get in, not only to get into those gardens, but we often get into places where we get sort of service like you wouldn't get elsewhere. I mean, we often mm-hmm. have luncheons in the manor house with the owners. And, or you know, luncheons so, in the garden as oh, in well, northern Italy. I mean, oh. we, was that... No, well, we, went, we contacted Madame Signora Agnelli and said, mm. we'd like to come to your garden and... She said, of course. Uh, and we said, what about admission? She said, oh, no admission. In fact, would you like lunch? And we had three maids and a butler serving us lunch by the pool with a Henry Moore and a It was Margarita. unbelievable. I could oh, get used to that. <laughs> I didn't feel so bad about all the repairs I had done on my old Fiat, you know, yeah. anymore. I thought, oh, that was money well spent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it was no, it, it really is yeah, wonderful. So you so. do get more than just a walk around a place and out most of the time. Most so. of the time. Not always, but most yeah. of the time. The owners are mostly there. They're very happy to show you the garden. They're mm. really enthusiastic because you've come from the other side yeah. of the world they really want you to they have love a good talking time. to you oh. they'll answer any questions yep. you have you know no, i think it's great and what's more i don't know about you but i don't lead a tour where we all walk around in a in single file and i and, and i oh, don't just you talk. take the stuffed chicken on a stick and and keep people in order john <laughs> i uh, i like to try and uh, we now use these headsets and talkies and yeah. i like people to split up yeah. see the garden as they want tell them a bit before we arrive Perhaps a little bit of a summary after we leave. Yeah. I don't want it to be, you know, I want people to enjoy the garden mm. as a garden mm. and be able to wander where they want. And you don't get that if you do it as a sort of where everybody follows you in uh-huh. yep. fire. Those talkies are a fantastic They're invention really because you can really, you know, disappear mm. completely from the rest of the group, yeah. but you can hear exactly yeah. what's oh, being they're, said. They're, yeah, the modern technology we oh, can use wonderful. on these tours is fantastic. And particularly if you do have somebody who's got a hearing issue or something like that, they can keep up and know what's going on. It's yes. fantastic. Yep. Yeah. No, it's great. Okay. John, just give out the, the phone number again. Nine eight double two six eight double nine. Fantastic. Mm. Yes. Half your luck, I'm very envious. Yeah, well, <laughs> I can't you? come again. 
There are I'm Ewing's. Boarded. I'm going to ring Cordell. I'm sure that he'll be very happy to take it somewhere else. He's such. A, he was. So, they were so nice to have on the tour. Well, of course, I had um, Pam and Cordell on my tour to France whenever it was several yes, years ago. Yes. And it wasn't at your first tour away together. I think together, yes, because yes, I'd come to Madagascar yeah, come on to Madagascar my own, with you, but, mm. and yeah. they were like a pair of young lovers. It was just so I gorgeous. I, t- I teased Pam every night. You'd go around town, you'd look in the restaurant window, and there would be this couple with yeah. candlelight yeah. sitting yeah. in the corner. <laughs> it was just great yeah. to see. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All the best. We, we, Thank you. We must move on. We've got a couple of callers who I think have been waiting for a long, long time. Um, but we'll go first of all to uh, Elaine, who's in Burwood. Good morning, Elaine. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for waiting. Oh, that's quite all right. It's been very interesting and I didn't mind a bit. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, my back lawn, what I normally call lawn, is a dust bowl. Mm-hmm. And I want to put some seed down to grow uh, some nice lawn grass. Um, and I normally keep the mulcher about a matchbox high. I want to cut it about that. What name of lawn seed should I get, please? Oh, dear. Um, is your back lawn really open and sunny? Yes. Um, so, yes. Yeah, yes. so you can you can put a, 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 a tough sort of proper lawn seed out there. I always worry when if it's a dust bowl and it's in the shade because mm. then oh, I, no. I don't think grass works ever in those sort of conditions mm. well. I've uh, only got shrubs to the top of the fence. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, well, uh, I wouldn't like to put down a lawn just by sprinkling it over your dust bowl and oh. hoping it's going to grow. Uh, well, uh, my plan was to grab the rake and put some deep furrows in it. Yeah, so you're going to scratch up the ground. Yeah. Uh, that's probably a good idea. Uh, I'd also put down some sort of uh, lawn starter or food sort of yes. down for the, yes, for the lawn seed. Yes, I do that. And look, most of the general blends that are out there will probably do the job quite well. I would have thought the mixed lawn blends are where I'd go. Um because then you're not relying on one species of grass to green up your lawn. So um, if you have a look at the side of the packet, it'll tell you what lawn seeds are in it, and there might well be some bents or fescues or, you know, all sorts of different varieties of grasses in them. Uh, so from from a seed perspective, that's possibly the way to go. But if you want a really tough lawn, I mean, some of the fine buffaloes and things are really good. Mm. Oh, I have a thing against these creepy yeah, because you don't want them to creep into your garden <laughs> Or yeah. across the path. Yeah, yeah. and I understand that. I mean, they do take a little bit more management, but they'll often come through the summer rather well. Oh, uh, yes, Because yes. They, they're not yes. as water-requiring yes. as some of the tufting grasses are. Mm. Yeah. So, um, Elaine, if you yeah. are feeling adventurous as well, there are, there are two or three companies in Victoria that supply a lot of native seed, um, and some of the Danthonia species, uh, some of the shorter-growing ones, um, they're called Rytidospermia now, but I still refer to them as Danthonia. Anthonia or Ostradanthonia, but um, need wallaby grass. It's spelled K-N-E-E-D, um, wallaby grass. Um, Does it grow you, up to the knee of a wallaby? Well, well, no. It's <laughs> it's only it only gets probably about oh, fifteen or twenty centimeters high at its at its most, um, and it will persist over the summer uh, with very little irrigation. Um, I've got it growing in my nature strip, and I had seeded it into that, and it looks it looks fantastic at the moment. Oh. And it gets quite ornamental little fluffy seed heads on it. And you really only need to mow it about once or twice a year, and that's generally at the end of summer just to give it a bit of a tidy up. Oh, yes. Because they are winter-growing grasses. Um, So we are coming up to a stage now where it would be good to sow them. 
Um, and there is a guy who runs a company whose name will come to me in a second, but he actually sells prilled seed for that species of wallaby grass. So it's covered in a little a little layer of clay. Um, so when you sow it, and you would sow it like you would a you know any classical any, any of your classical lawn seed, yeah, and yeah. you get a really good germination rate on it. Um, and it'll grow like the clappers over winter, and it'll slow down in uh, in spring and summer. But that's definitely option. And seeing as seeing as the area is a dust bowl anyway, you're going to find it really hard to establish any other kind of classical species of lawn, um, and, unless unless a- you're really irrigating it a lot. Um, so, so maybe maybe one of the natives is is a, is an option for you. And it I've got a nice it, it, amount of yeah, very dense. dicotra growing through it everywhere. You've got dicondra there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that's dicondra. a bit dicondra. Um, that you know that that likes mm. a bit of a bit of moisture as well. So maybe it's not as dry then in that case. But wallaby grass would grow well, and the the dicondra would grow between it. Um, yes. And John was just asking if it grows quite densely, and yeah, it does. It's really good at suppressing weeds once you get once you get it established. And, and it, it stays green all the summer yeah it does it, it does it, it it might brown off a little bit over summer but then as soon as as soon as winter uh, uh, autumn and winter kick in yeah it, it'll yeah. it'll it'll kick back into gear no worries at all so so yeah if you if you if you're interested in having a in having a go at, at having a you know those kind of seeds yeah a little bit of a, a little bit of a native wallaby a native seed or lawn. Need, yes so it's need wallaby grass and one of the one of the companies that sell it is um i think it's nativeseeds.com.au um but there are, there are a couple of them. If you punch them into into Google or something like that, um, they they will they will pop up. Um, but they're worth they're worth a go. Yeah, people should be experimenting with them a bit. Yes, more, I, I wouldn't mind doing that a bit. Mm. All right, thank you, gentlemen. No Excellent. worries. Good, Good luck. Bye. Bye for now. <laughs> You're out of practice, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Stephen, for mentioning that. Yeah, no, that's all right. Well, we can't have dead air. We've got to say something. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going next to guess who's online. We have Gwen Elliott. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Oh, yes, and Happy New Year, or whatever one says when it's February. Yes, yes it does seem odd, doesn't it, Gwen? But, yeah, it is a new year for us. Yeah, um, just one thing I'd mention, folks, is that it sort of sometimes slips through to the keeper when it happens over... Well, that's a bit of a cricketing term, I think, isn't it? Um, when it happens over the summer, but there are a couple of people who I know um, in one particular who's a regular 3CR garden show listener who was included in the Australia Day Honours oh, with the Order of Australia Award and I thought it was worth mentioning and because it's, you know, it's lovely for these people and the organisations they're involved with and the person I was particularly thinking of mentioning is Janet Thompson Janet often rings in uh, she's been a volunteer with the Melbourne Botanic Gardens friends um, for many years in a whole range of activities and it's great that she was recognised um, another one who probably Stephen knows anyway, Annie McGeechee from Geelong Botanic Gardens. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, and Annie was also... And another one which some folks will be familiar with her work, if not knowing her personally, of course, she's from Western Australia. But it's the botanical artist, Philippa Nikolinsky. And, you know, they're just three of the hundreds. There were some botanists and other people who got mentioned. But, um, you know, I was also going to say to people... It's not hard to nominate somebody for these awards. And if you know, there are so many volunteers involved in horticulture and gardening. 
um, particularly gardening in our uh, public gardens. Uh, and some of these people are well worthy of mentioning and it also um, ups the profiles of the gardens and causes that people are involved in. Gives everybody reason to have a, a glass of bubbly and a good smile together and um, I just sort of thought it was worth mentioning those people and the awards they've got. Mm, Fantastic, what a good idea, yes, Queen. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So that was it for today. Okay. Um, happy gardening and um, we'll be in touch. Okay, good on you, <laughs> See Gwen. See you soon, Gwen. Bye. Right, next up we've got our good friend Ken out in sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, everybody, and what a fantastic program. I've been waiting for you to get on, and even if I don't ring you, I listen to you, as you know, I listen to you every Sunday. Oh, you certainly but do. today I'll tell you what, the lot of you, congratulations. It is absolutely fantastic. The only trouble is it made me very sick for Europe. I've been to Europe four times, <laughs> and um, I'd love to go, but there's one thing stopping me. What's that? My wife won't give me a gun to rob a bank. Oh, <laughs> oh she's so mean. <laughs> I can't understand that. Well, no, no. no. I tried to get her to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. well, that seems reasonable. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to your program, and I hope you all have, I hope you all have a good New Year, and uh, keep your program coming. It is, well, it's all our program. It's fantastic. Even the listeners do something. They listen to you. <laughs> Good on you, Ken. Thank Great you to hear much. from you. Bye. Bye. That number, if you'd like to join in, uh, we're running through until 9.15, so you do have time to jump on the phone if you'd like to. The number is 94190155. Now, Stephen, I showed you there's an alert yeah. just come through this week from um, Nursery and Garden Industry Victoria, and... It seems we have um, yet another pest. Yet problem. another pest problem, and it's been found in the Dandenong Ranges. Yeah. So yes, hazelnut mites, which yes. I had never heard of till a few moments ago. They sound quite cute, actually. Are they? No, they're, they're quite not cute. cute. Hazelnut mites. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does sound quite cute, doesn't it? They actually look a bit weird. They look like something alien. Uh, they're quite small, and the big problem. Well, I, it's a big problem for the hazelnut industry, of mm. course, if they've got a mite that's got into mm. uh, hazelnuts here. But it's also a pest that can be seen on other species. Now, whether it actually has a huge impact on other, those other species, it doesn't say here. But it can uh, attack walnuts, spruces, pines, apparently yarrow of all things. Yarrow? Yarrow and willows, oaks and beans. Beans. Interesting. Yes, beans. Yeah, it is a very strange diet. Um and it's a minute little thing, uh, and it feeds on the leaves, and um, it's reportable. Um, well, they're requesting listeners to report it if yeah. they think they've got it. Now, it it shows up as, I think it says they're white and yellow spots. Yeah, the mite itself the is quite tiny, so it mm. would be a bit like sort of getting spider mite or yes. lace wing or something. Yes. You'd, you'd have that you'd sort have of You'd have to effect. look at the underside of the leaf. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it... Um, Yes, conspicuous white or yellowish feeding spots on the hazelnut leaf. Um, and it will uh, attack both young and mature leaves, uh, found mostly on the undersurface, uh, along with its eggs and, and cast skins. And what does it do over winter? Good question. Because presumably when the leaves drop off the hazel, it goes down too. Does it overwinter in the... In the organic material below? I would there. imagine it would, but it doesn't actually say so here. Mm. Um, uh, the species has a broad geographical distribution, though, which includes Europe, Spain, uh, from Spain to Western Russia, China, and the United States of America. Uh, 
and it has been reported as destructive to some uh, economic crops. So, mm-hmm. so it's another issue that needs to be sort of in people's um, well, it sounds like it's wherever they grow hazels, it's there. For, yeah. You go yeah. from Spain across Europe and then the USA and so on, because Turkey's the big producer mm. of hazels. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yes. at, at the bottom, Stephen, it does give um, a phone number to report it. It does, and it also, phone number. And it also asks for people, if they think they've got it, to take a photo and they can, they can email that photo. Yeah, so if you find an infestation of uh, Tetranicopsis horridus. Wow. Um, Definitely yeah. horridus. <laughs> and it has the name written on its back. I yeah, that's yes. right. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you can ring the Exotic Plant Pest Hotline on uh, 1800-084-881. It's a toll-free number. Uh, and you can email photos of the suspected pest together with the ton- co- uh, contact for your own home uh, and the pest's location. And you could go to the website, which is plant.protection at Ecodev, E-C-O-D-E-V, dot vic, dot, dot um, So, yeah, so we have yet another little bugger that's found its way in. Uh, goodness knows how, because we do have fairly stringent quarantine restrictions here, but things still manage to get through. They do. So yeah. Yep. Real worry. And it seems to be constant. There's always some problem <coughs> for some for some plant. Yep, yep. So anyhow, so hazelnut mites are now a potential issue here. I don't know how devastating they'll be, but yeah, it's not a, a good thing to have yet another Well, bite. hopefully if the department can get on top of it nice and quickly, mm. that would be a great thing. But I think we'll the same see. was being said about elm leaf beetles some years back too. Yes, mm. and look and where look, that's gone. Yeah, and look what happened there. Yep. Uh, it's everywhere. Absolutely. Um, so yes, one, one doesn't hold out much hope for you know, control of these things or eradication, which seems impossible. Um, but it would be nice if, yeah, if some proactive interest was taken in some of these things and mm. some governments put some effort into it. Absolutely. Let's go to uh, Helen, who's out in Camberwell. Good morning, Helen. Uh, yes, good morning, Pam. Um, I'm just ringing to make an inquiry. I was listening to Stephen talking about um, looking at your garden and deciding if something wasn't working, which I'm pretty good at doing. Mm-hmm, and good. I had a very old Sasanqua die about five years ago, and it was quite sad. So I replaced it. It's on my fence line, so it's important you can see it from the house, and it's also screening uh, with an X mouth. I had done a bit of research and it looked like the right height, mm-hmm. width, etc. And beside it is a blueberry ash. Yes. Uh, then I've got a very old Algerian oak, and it's an old garden because the house is old. But what's happened with the Exmouth, it's grown reasonably tall, which is good, but what's happened is the branches grow, the leaves fall off, and the new shoots are at the end. So yeah. now I've discovered, I'm looking at from the house, the trunk and then the branches. And, um, and not the leaves. No, because mm. they've all fallen off except the, t- the end. So I'm thinking... Well, will I cut it back to its frame or have I chosen the wrong plant because it just wants to grow really, really tall? I really only wanted something four metres would have been fine as long as it was wishy below. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.